For those of you who don't know me, my name is Trenton Walker. I'm one of the pastors with Church 21. Uh, my main area of ministry is on the south shore of Montreal, and it's just a pleasure to be with you every Sunday that I get to come downtown. Uh, I'm happy to see all of you. And for those of you who are visiting, it, I'll look forward to maybe meeting you after the service. Uh, so my question to start things off for you today is, how insecure are you feeling right now? How insecure are you feeling right now? And I'll, I'll illustrate this uh, with um, the idea of Lego, okay? Uh, who grew up playing with Lego? Okay. All right. That's good. This is a good mix. Uh, everyone seems like a lot, of, um, a lot of people have been playing with Lego growing up. So I have two daughters, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And as parents, uh, like, my gra- like their grandparents, friends, everyone were wanting to buy gifts for them. They're saying, like, what, what should we buy for them? And at, like, one, one year old, I'm like, is it too soon to start buying Lego? Um, uh, let's just be safe and still buy it anyways because maybe they'll be able to play with Lego. Uh, and, and so now, after eight years, like, my kids are now playing with Lego, and they're obsessed with it, and they have all these, like, classic sets, so they're just making their own constructions. And they are so insecure, the things they're building. They are not solid. They, they just fall apart, and they're so frustrated. I'm like, how did you think that could even stay? Have you even seen a building, like, one time in your life? It, and so, obviously, like, for us pros with Lego, you know, you have, the, like, interlocking bricks. You have to interlock them. You can't just make a tower, 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 and you're like, there's a wall, super strong wall, four towers of bricks. It won't fall over. And I put one brick at the top to link them all together. I was going to bring even, they have one at home. I was going to bring it. I forgot. Uh, so the whole idea is that their, their Lego building is very insecure right now. And uh, this, this passage in Revelations that we're going to go through, it's multiple passages, even the scripture reading. I just wanted to be kind to whoever was doing the scripture reading today. We're actually going through Revelation 17, 18, and 19 uh, through verse 10 in chapter 19. But the idea of this, I- this passage really brings to light uh, the question, how insecure are you right now? Uh, and it's going to present that uh, through uh, a character who is called Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and the earth's abominations. Okay? Revelation talk there. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, but really, I think that the, the reality of how insecure you are today is founded in your object of worship. So let's just take a moment to pray again before we get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to come together so often, every week, uh, and, and just get into your word. Uh, and I thank you that your Holy Spirit is speaking. God, I pray that no one's going to remember uh, me this morning, my words, but uh, the things that they'll leave with is really what your Holy Spirit is speaking uh, through your word uh, to them. And so I just uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first question uh, or point for today is, who is your object of worship? Revelation uh, 17 presents an option as Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. Let's just read. If you'd like to follow with me, you can. I just want to give a disclaimer that I'm going to be like flying all through these, these three chapters, and I'll let you know where it is. So if you have your Bible open, it's, not, it's just one turn of the page, uh, but it might be hard to follow. But this first passage, Revelation 17, Four through five. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that's the right thing. Yes. Okay. So this great prostitute uh, is who we're looking at here, starting at verse four. The woman was arrayed in purple 
and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of of earth's abominations. So this woman, we're going to call her the great prostitute from now on. The other title is too long. The great prostitute is a symbol of worship. Okay, we've been talking about the, the symbolic nature of Revelation. This is a symbol of worship. And she's riding this beast. Uh, that's, you'll see that um, in kind of the whole of chapter 17. She's riding this beast, which means it's a, also a symbol that she is partnered with Satan. She's partnered with the adversary. Uh, and in Revelation uh, 17, 18, the woman is explained to be the great city that has dom- d- uh, dominion over the kings of the earth. So this great city is also called Babylon in, uh, in biblical terms, and especially in Revelation. So this, this prostitute represents a great city. The great city is referred to as Babylon. And Babylon represents all religious, all economic, all government systems that are built without God at the center. So basically, Babylon is everything in our world uh, because there's nothing other than the church that is built with God at the center, uh, and that's not listed there. And so uh, I just want to ask now, are you still with me so far? Have you been tracking? Because we just covered all of chapter 17, okay? That was good. We're making good progress today. Uh, so when we're going into this, we, I said the main point is, uh, is what is your object of worship? Who is your object of worship? Uh, that Revelation presents uh, this great prostitute, uh, Babylon, as an option. Uh, and I think it's good to look at what does she have to offer? You know, weigh, weigh um, your options. So I've got a list here, and I'll just fly through it. But just reading through uh, Revelation 17, 18, 19, there's just this list that I've been able to compile. Uh, so autonomy. Uh, Babylon, or the great prostitute, she offers autonomy. In uh, Revelation 18, 7, she says, I sit as a queen. A queen. Okay, so that means that if you accept what Babylon or uh, the great prostitute has to offer, you're in charge of your own world. You don't need God. You don't need anyone to tell you how to live. You can make it on your own. That's something that she has to offer. Uh, she also offers injustice. Uh, and you, don't, you might not see that written here, uh, Babylon the Great and, and, and injustice. And everyone looks to her to find injustice. No. But if autonomy is a primary thing she offers, where everyone, uh, where the self is at the center, then you're going to find injustice because everyone's serving themselves at the expense of others often. Uh, so she's offering uh, injustice. She's offering sensuality. Okay, this is a free reign of the passions of the body. Like, you're, you're made to live out all of these passions. Uh, don't suppress them in any way. That's what she's offering. Uh, luxury for luxury's sake. Uh, just, what is the word? Um, I can't even think of one. But just extreme luxury, lavishing herself with wealth. Uh, and that would be the next one. Uh, there would be material wealth that she's offering. She's also offering violence. Uh, and then the solution to violence is weapons. And she's like, okay, if you, if you have a, you can have as much violence as you want, but if you have any problem with that, uh, just get weapons, and that will fix the problem, because then there'll just be more violence. But don't think about that, because maybe that'll stop the violence. So there's more violence happening. Then there's deception. This is kind of obvious. 
Uh, but John's portraying the beast throughout these passages as um, which the great prostitute is riding this beast. Uh, she, John is pre- uh, presenting the beast as intentionally mimicking Jesus. So throughout Revelation, uh, especially here, the beast is intentionally mimicking Jesus. Uh, so should, you should expect that there's going to be a twisting and turning of the truth uh, and then um, a des- with a desire to gain control over people's minds. Uh, and then the ultimate reality is that there's deception in that. And the last point of things that Babylon, the great prostitute, offers is slavery. Uh, and you're like, oh, this is a great list. Uh, you've, got, you've got me sold so far. But slavery happens in uh, Revelation 18, uh, 13. Slaves and human lives, which means like bodies, and, and it also says human souls. Uh, and so as you're reflecting on this system uh, of Babylon-ness, uh, what Babylon, uh, sorry, the great prostitute has to offer, you might be with me right at this moment thinking to yourself, I'm not interested in what um, this great prostitute, what Babylon has to offer. Uh, and you might even think further and say, actually, not only am I not interested, I'm avoiding these things. I'm trying to live so that these things are not part of my life. And I just want to say that the reality of how untrue that is, is actually in what this great prostitute is wearing. There's a a parabolic portrayal of this woman being dressed as a religiously faithful figure. Okay, and we can uh, look at that. Well, we actually already read it, um, but basically, uh, if you go back to verse uh, 4, primarily verse 4, this is a depiction of Old Testament priests. Okay, this is what they would be dressed like, adorned with gold, purple, scarlet, linen, and precious stones. And so the majority of us in the 21st century, we wouldn't catch on to that. We would just think it's just lavish, she's adorned with all these uh, luxuries. But actually, what, what is the thing that we miss is that Babylon looks good. This great prostitute looks good. Uh, and so this portrayal should It should actually invite you to stop and ask the question, am I worshiping this great prostitute? And this is what it would have been for the original readers uh, when John gave this this prophecy uh, to the the church. They would have said, hey, she's dressed like a religiously faithful figure. Um, That must mean something. That must mean that it's very easy to fall into worshiping her. And so at this moment, you, you have to ask the question, have I falsely viewed the great prostitute, everything she has to offer, as good? Have I accepted even what she offers, and have I made her the object of my worship? And now, you might be here today just exploring what the Bible has to teach, and unfortunately for you, we're in the book of Revelations, but also fortunately for you, Revelation is all about Jesus. And it's all about his victory. Okay, and so I appreciate you being here uh, today to engage with what the Bible teaches on this subject. Uh, And and the reality is the majority of people are worshiping the great prostitute. They're worshiping what Babylon has to offer. And 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 when you acknowledge that, when you even acknowledge for yourself that you have made this great prostitute an object of worship for in your own life, you have to ask the question, well, what's the outcome of that? Uh, so while we're still looking at this idea, this, this topic of worship, 
we want to look at what's the outcome of worshiping uh, the great prostitute. And that's Revelation 18, uh, 16 through 18 will uh, summarize this really well for us. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and those uh, whose trade was on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? The reality is that this great prostitute, Babylon, will always seem secure until she isn't. The, this, these objects of worship will always seem sure until they aren't. So for those of you who spent a lot of time reading Revelation and you have your position on, on how to interpret it, uh, especially for the historists here today, I want to acknowledge that the Roman Empire, they had a city of Rome that was called the Eternal City. Okay? The Eternal City. Isn't that an interesting name for a city? Is there like a slogan for Montreal? I couldn't think of one. Does anyone know one? Maybe some of the long-term... Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Please stay. That's the slogan. Please don't leave. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> Rome uh, was called the Eternal City. Uh, and New York calls itself uh, many names, but one of them is the greatest city on earth. Toronto is obviously the center of the universe. Everyone knows that. But in 410 AD, in one week during August, there was this, um, this man named, uh, I can't even pronounce it properly, Alaric, Alaric, that's right, and his Goths, entered into Rome and laid it to waste. This eternal city, eternal, that's forever, you know, was laid to waste in one week. And so this is presenting us uh, with the idea of how fragile the security uh, Babylon offers really is. Uh, because, and this is what's said in, in one hour, that's uh, repeated multiple times, for in a single hour, uh, all its wealth has been laid to waste. And so the idea is that we see that worshiping Babylon is insecure. We see, even through this example of Rome, this eternal city being laid to waste in one week, uh, we, we would want to then go and say, what is the outcome? What's the outcome? And the outcome is Revelation 18.18. 18. Uh, it's for anyone who's worshiping this system will not actually repent. They'll just continue to worship. And you'll look at that and you'll say, uh, that which has fallen, those things that you found your security in that just failed you, and you'll say, what city was like this great city. So you're not going to say, oh man, like maybe I should reconsider. Everything I put all of my focus on has just collapsed. Uh, is there anything else in the world? Is there, is there a more secure, is there a more sure thing that I can put my faith in? But what Revelation is showing us is that that won't be your response. You will see this and you will say, why? Why? I put everything into that. What? Where is my hope? And you'll just continue to worship and say, what, is the, what, great, uh, what city was like this great city? What investment was like this great investment? Uh, what friend was like this great friend that I had? When things fail you, you're just going to continue to worship those things that were insecure. Sure to fail, sure to fall. 
what Revelation is presenting to us is that any Babylonic city will eventually fall in one hour. Any Babylonic economy will eventually fall in one hour. Any Babylonic government will fall in one hour. None of these things can be a true source of security because they are built without God at the center. And what this passage is saying is that anything that is built without God at the center will fail and will fall. This, this has always been happening. And like even thinking about that, like you're like, oh, the government of Quebec, that's like, that's pretty secure. Like the, the healthcare system, that's pretty secure. That's going to stay. And like we get into this logic fallacy where we're like, it hasn't happened in my lifetime. I haven't seen a, a Western city fall, but it's like it has always been happening. And it's, you can't think that like in your, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, if you haven't seen it, it doesn't mean it won't exist. It has always been happening, and it will always continue. And just remember that, that image of my daughter's building Lego. It's like that's the security that everything around us has. Lego walls that are not built right. Uh, and it, like, there's even this one thing where my younger daughter, daughter Abigail, she wanted to make this, this cat perch. And so she took those, like, four, like, uh, the square, you know, four by four um, blocks of Lego, and built it like three feet tall and had like a stair going all the way up to it of just like one attaching to the other. And then at the top, there was this perch for like these little Lego cats. And like the frustration she was experiencing when it would like never stay standing and it would always fall over. And I was like, I want her to succeed, but I also want her to like try to build a stronger foundation. And it's, and the reality is that you will just constantly be frustrated if your worship, if the object of your worship is these Babylonic systems built without God at the center, you're constantly going to be frustrated. You're going to be asking yourself, why? And, and it's in this, this moment that these things are being revealed. The frailty of all these systems are being revealed. The insecurity that most people are living in is being revealed. We have an angel up here who I believe to be Jesus because of being presented with great authority, uh, great glory that covers the whole earth, uh, and a mighty voice. Those are all things uh, through Old Testament that would say it's God talking. And based on uh, the New Testament, we can, think, we can believe that this is Jesus. Revelation 18, 1 through 3. You can read that with me. Revelation 18, 1 through 3. Um, I'm actually, sorry, that's wrong. I'm going to start at verse uh, 2. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. All the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living." This moment, this, this angel, I believe Jesus is arriving in this vision, is supposed to shake us and wake us up. With a mighty voice, Jesus is trying to grab your attention, and, and he's demanding you to answer this question. Are you falling with Babylon because you have fallen under her spell? Are you falling with Babylon the great because you've fallen under her spell? Uh, as a, a point of continued reflection on this, I, I just wanted to 
present to you something that shocked me as I was going through this passage. John fell into false worship twice while he was in the spirit receiving this vision. So we believe the Apostle John is the one who wrote this. Someone that walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, then was in the spirit, being given a vision, you know, so close to God, fell into false worship twice. And you might be stuck on that because you're like, I don't know, you're going to have to prove it to me. But the point I'm going to get to in this is do not think that you are better than John. Do not think that you are strong enough to not fall into false worship. Uh, So I'll give you the examples here. Uh, This is, again, the passage where the great prostitute is presented, Revelation 17, 4. But this time I'll read uh, through verse 7. So I'll read it again. The woman was arrayed with purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Now, if you're thinking that my point is marvel means worship, and you're thinking that's wrong, you're right, okay? Marvel doesn't necessarily mean worship or uh, astonished or wonder. Those things don't necessarily mean worship. Uh, Jesus marveled greatly at the faith uh, of an individual in the New Testament, but the reality here is John was falling into worship, and that's proven by the angel saying, why do you marvel? That's a, a direct rebuke, saying, stop that, stop marveling, I'm going to explain it to you. I want you to know what's going on here. So John was caught up in this marvel, wonder, and amazement, and the angel rebukes him. He says, why do you do that? Let me explain it to you. But then again, John fell into false worship. Uh, And this is at the end of our passage. It's on uh, Revelation 19, uh, verse 10. Let's just read that together. Then I fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John is receiving uh, this vision. There's different messengers coming and explaining things uh, throughout the, the, the vision that we see in Revelation. And at one point, John just falls down and worships an angel. And that's very clear. He did that. It says it right there in the passage, Revelation 19.10. I fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Uh, And then he's rebuked. Do not worship me. Worship God. Okay? So that one we can all agree on, right? It says that he worshipped the angel. You see that there? So the point I'm getting to, I offered up Revelation 17, um, verse 7, as a a, um, kind of a complimenting that. The idea is that You shouldn't think that you're different than John in the sense that you're able to control what you worship and like you're not falling into false worship ever. The reality is that we are made to worship. If you're here today and you're like, I've been exploring what the Bible says and I, I really don't like anything that you're saying so far. The reality is that like just think about something that you really like. 
that, that is worshiping. You might not have like this wooden or stone or metal object in your house that you go and kneel down and, and pray to. But if you're like, I really like bouldering, you know, I go three times a week. I've got a community there. That's like, I'm living my life to go bouldering. That has become an object of worship to you. And so the reality is we're, we all fall into worship. And it just isn't presented as idol worship anymore. It's just presented as like hobbies or, you know, pleasures of life. Uh, but the reality is this passage is calling you to resist wrong worship and discern. Have I already fallen into wrong worship? Have I already started worshiping something that this great prostitute or Babylon has to offer? And, and to help with discerning this, my next point is, whose wine are you drinking? Okay, so we started with uh, worship. Uh, if, if Babylon or the great prostitute is your object of worship, what will be the outcome? But now to discern who are you worshiping, let's look at Whose wine are you drinking? So the great prostitute offers a wine. Revelation 17.2 says, And the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. This image of sexual immorality makes a connection to being united to the prostitute. It's a union to the, to the great prostitute. Uh, the goal of the union is that she will provide you or, or anyone with this material security that she's offering. But there's a clear side effect. It's actually, this is an allusion to an Old Testament uh, prophecy in Hosea uh, 4. You don't have to go there. I'll read it. Hosea 4, 11 through 12. Whoredom, wine, and new wine, which takes away the under understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staffs give them uh, oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. You probably didn't expect to hear those words that many times on a Sunday morning. But this is in Scripture, and it's giving us an illustration to this passage in verse 17 too. The wine that the great prostitute is offering you is making you uh, drunk and leading you away from worshiping the only one who's worthy of worship. The only one who can actually provide real security to you. Uh, G.K. Beale says this. The intoxicating effect of Babylon's wine removes all desire to resist Babylon's destructive in influence. Blinds them to Babylon's own ultimate insecurity and God as a source of real security. And numbs them against a fear of coming judgment. End quote. So. We already know that John fell into false worship fell, or was even tempted into wrong worship during his vision. And the question is for you today, are you drinking the wine of the great prostitute? The, the way to discern that would be that you think that everything, like that cities, governments, eco economic systems are secure. If you think that those things are secure, this passage is saying, you're, you're a little tipsy or even drunk on the wine of the great prostitute because they're ultimately completely insecure. Are you blind? Are you blind to this insecurity of what Babylon has to offer? And are you blind to the fact that God is the only one who can provide true security? And are you numb, that, that dulling, numbing effect of alcohol that will make you numb 
to the reality that God, there's a coming judgment. We talked about that last week. And God is right to bring this judgment because he is just. So are you, are you drunk on the wine that the great prostitute has offered? If you are, you are in danger of falling with Babylon. Babylon will always fall. And the reality is if you've fallen under her spell, you are falling with her. And, and, and even further, this creates a, a paradox that if you were drunk on the wine of the great prostitute of Babylon, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know that you were. Uh, you'd probably be thinking, like, this guy is crazy. Like, what is he talking about? That, that's what would be a discerning point of if you've fallen under the, the spell of this great prostitute. The, now I want to present to you the alternative wine, okay? Uh, an alternative wine. It's not juice. It's going to be still wine. Uh, it's the wine that the lamb has to offer. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And you're like, well, that, that doesn't talk about wine. You're kind of misleading us, Trenton. Uh, but the reality is uh, we want to ask the question, what kind of wine does Jesus provide? We don't see it in this passage, I'm going to be honest. But throughout the New Testament, we do see uh, the Bible display and, and present us with a different kind of wine that Jesus does provide. Uh, so let's go to Jesus' first miracle. Okay, he's at this wedding, and they run out of wine. You know, it's, it's horrible. I, I don't know. I've never experienced this. I imagine it would be horrible to be at a wedding and the wine runs out. Uh, but the reality is they would have a, a, the wedding uh, festival would go on for a long time, like a week most, uh, in most cases. And so the, Mary comes over to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, like, you got to make more wine. Uh, but the thing about this is that Jesus wasn't coerced into performing a miracle. It's not uh, some sort of trick that he performed. This is really establishing the beginning of his ministry uh, and also giving us an idea of what kind of wine Jesus provides. And I'll read that in John 2.10. This is after they have tasted the wine that Jesus provided. Uh, this, uh, we start here. Everyone serves good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But if you have kept the good wine until now. So the reason I brought up this is so simple. Jesus provides better wine. So when we see clearly in our passage, the great prostitute is saying, here's the wine I have to offer. Drink it, get drunk on it. Uh, be blind and numb to the insecurity and like coming judgment. Jesus, in, in the Bible, we see, period, he brings better wine. So what we can see, if Jesus started his ministry with his image of bringing something that's so much better, we know that we can expect, as we continue to look through Scripture, Everything that Jesus offers maybe is better. You know, and we want to engage with that. Uh, the next thing is that Jesus established a new covenant with wine. Uh, this is not a blinding, numbing wine. It's a wine that's transformative. It's, uh, and I want to just give you an idea here that in biblical marriage, uh, there's a covenant that starts with a bride price. Okay, this is all things that were culturally relevant in those times. And you probably are like, what are you talking about? But it's, a, it's an amount you would pay to have 
to make a promise. You're like, I'm going to marry this woman. You pay a bride price to the father. And so the amount that Jesus paid to, to secure his bride was his own life. And the wine in this uh, illustration that he was providing was his own blood. Matthew 26, 27 through 28. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we see right after that that this is talking about a very real thing that Jesus would do, that he would die and he would pour out his blood as an innocent human being, never having done anything wrong, so that those who are pretty much always in the wrong, that's you and me, could be forgiven. This is the new covenant of his, uh, of, that he established with wine. And it's a wine that will not blind you. It's a wine that will not numb you. It's a wine that will transform you. It will completely change you. The, the last point I want to look at as far as wine and the wine that Jesus offers is that the blood of Jesus, this, this new covenant, this wine that he gives, leads to history ending with a final marriage between the church and Christ. And in this marriage, uh, typically in, in, in Bible times, um, the groom would have made a place, prepared a place to then bring his bride to live in this in his home. And I think that that's still relevant today. You don't just get married and you're like, so where are we going to live? Your parents' place or my parents' place? You know, you prepare a place in advance. Uh, and so John 14.3 says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Uh, and so my point here is that this isn't really talking about wine. But everything that we've seen as far as the wine that Jesus offers will end up, it will result in, it will conclude in eternal provision, eternal security. Seems like there's a contrast that we're getting here. Falling, always going to fail, very secure forever. (laughs) Uh, And so we want to look at this and consider for a moment that the wine that Jesus offers will transform you because he will bring you into salvation, being saved from your falling state, okay? And then in that salvation, you're given hope. You're given hope. Instead of your mind being blind and numb, your mind is alive and renewed. Uh, and, and then in this transformed reality, Jesus calls out to his bride. So when you, when you have received the wine Jesus offers, which is salvation, forgiveness of your sins, your wrongdoings, he calls out to you. And this is in Revelation 18.4. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sin. This is an invitation that's only possible uh, in the transformation that Jesus provides. Otherwise, you would read this and think, come out of what? Why? I like it here. Uh, And you look, this is another opportunity Uh, Like I said, this considering whose wine you're drinking, we're discerning this together. So if you're saying, Jesus is inviting me out so that I don't partake in the sins of Babylon, if your response is, why? That's leading back to, you're drunk on the great prostitute's wine. You know, and this is is really in your face. I want to acknowledge that. 
and it might not be fun to think about. Uh, but we need to be woken up from this. We, we, do you want to lose everything and live your whole life for vanity uh, and then it be amount to nothing in the end? Or do you want to live the true reality that you've been created to live? Do you want to be woken up uh, from that drunkard state? So this is what Jesus is offering for those who accept the wine, accept salvation, accept his work. And so I hope that if you might have been thinking, I don't know, I like what you know Montreal has to offer. I like the what education has to offer. I like what my friends have to offer. You might be at the point of saying, but those things aren't my security. I realize that now. And I, I realize that maybe I've been making them my security. And I want something that's a lot more sure. Uh, because I've been fe- feeling insecure in those times. And so Jesus is calling you to come out of Babylon and not take part in the, in the sins of Babylon. And he's not calling you into isolation. This is an important point here. He's calling you with the same a New Testament call uh, that he uses when he calls uh, anyone to salvation. Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he gl- also glorified. My point there is to say that if Jesus uh, calls you, um, he's participating in the work. So if he's saying, come out of her, this is not a call to morality, to, to religious living. This is a call to accepting that Jesus can help you live as a different person in a city that's falling. And actually live as someone who's going to seek out the peace of the city. When he calls, he's calling you not to leave this world, but he's calling you to be transformed and to live a different life than everyone else is living. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, uh, that by, the testing, uh, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, so I just wanted to illustrate this. Uh, has anyone ever gone and served at a Red, Red Frogs event? Just raise your hand. Red Frogs. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Uh, hopefully there's more coming up. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to volunteer for that because it's a great way uh, to serve. Red Frogs uh, provides water and sober uh, supervision during Frosh Week. Okay, And other big parties, corporate events, they go in and they're like, we want to make sure no one gets injured. We want to make sure everyone gets home alive. Okay, And they're going into these parties. Uh, and this is just a perfect example of what we've been seeing in this passage. Like literally people are drunk <laughs> in, in these Red, uh, Red Frogs events. Uh, and so the people that volunteer with Red Frog go there to seek out the peace and the well-being of the people that are in these events. And that's what, this is what it looks like when Jesus says, uh, come out of her, that lest you partake in her sins. He's saying, don't participate in what's going on. Serve the people that need to be served in those events. And so I, I have to be honest. I got connected with Church 21 when I had very young kids. And I was like, I already don't sleep most nights. I can't stay up another night, like voluntarily. Uh, so I've never served at a Red Frogs event. Uh, yeah, Timoth- Timothy Long was like, what? <laughs> I've never served at a Red Frogs event. So I'm going to say, I'm assuming this has never happened. But I'm like, what if someone was wearing, like, the Red Frogs, like, hat or, like, T-shirt and was, like, on the bar, drunk, like, partying, like, yeah, party. Like, everyone there, even if they were drunk, would be like, that person's not supposed to be doing that. 
they're not supposed to be like partying and drunk. Aren't they the ones that are going to make sure I get home alive? And that would be the absurdity of living in Babylon and just living like you're a part of the world. Living like you're like, this is my home too. This is my security too. Let's party. Jesus is saying, come out and seek the peace of the city. Care for the city. We want to know that this is, this is possible, not like I said, not like through morality or religious living. It's possible because Jesus is going to empower you to live differently. He invites his bride to be set apart, and he empowers his bride to seek the well-being of the city. And I'll read that verse again. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So um, the question is, who's received this invitation? Maybe you received a wedding invitation recently, and I, I just want to ask, like, what did you do with it? Did you just, like, throw it under your bed or, like, throw it in the trash? Usually that's not the, the instinctive thing to do. You would, like, put it on the fridge because, like, this is important. This is valuable. Uh, and I want to respond, uh, send in my RSVP while there's still steaks available because uh, I don't want the vegan option. Uh, that's just me. Maybe you're vegan, and I'm not trying to offend you. But you take it seriously. You put it in a place of prominence. And so what, who is receiving this wedding invitation? Who's receiving this call from Jesus? And I would say, if you're here today, you should really consider that maybe you're receiving this invitation and this call. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I, I definitely know that. I, I'm, I profess faith in Jesus. I've been baptized. Like, I, my life is about him. He's my, my king, my, my savior. He's my treasure. Jesus is everything to me. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm just exploring Jesus I don't know if I received the call or not. I don't know if I have the wedding invitation or not. Like the fact that you're here exploring Jesus means that he is calling you. Okay, so don't leave here today without at least considering what am I going to do with that call? What am I going to do? Am I going to accept it or respectfully decline? And that's up to you. But I invite you to continue to engage. And so as we uh, come into my last point, I want to just acknowledge that there's a, um, an absurdity in this whole passage. You know, we started talking about, like, how insecure you're feeling today. Uh, and this, this whole, the title of this passage is, um, the sermon is, um, A Funeral and a Feast. So there's this reality where you're like, it seems like the majority of people are, are mourning over what's going on around them. Uh, I've, I've kind of pointed out that that's still continued worship of the beast. Uh, and you're like, but what is it, like, what place do we have to be celebrating, worshiping God, uh, and, and just going to, like, this wedding feast while the whole world is mourning? Uh, I just want to remind you that according to Revelation, the entire purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him. One example would be Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your, uh, by your will they exist and were created. So when you focus on humanity as the center of everything, you forget God. Uh, then you end up committing the greatest sin, which is idolatry, uh, and then you fall with Babylon. That's what we've seen in this passage. Uh, and so I would say, if you're like, what place does the church have to be at this, like, wedding feast while the world is falling, you might be a sympathizer of Babylon. 
You might be looking to Babylon and be like, I'm going to find a little bit of security here and a little bit of security there. And then it'll be like, you know, um, what's it called? Hedging your bets. Is that the right term? You're like a little bit of both. Uh, but the reality I want to point out is we do that kind of thing because we live in an anthropocentric culture. And I'll explain that. It's the belief that human beings are the center, are the most central, important thing in all of the universe. Okay? Uh, G.K. Beale, I'm going to quote him again. He says, In the West, we live in a profoundly anthropocentric culture which utterly fails to place God and his glory at the center. And if we do not resist this, we will find ourselves slipping all too easily into the hold of the kingdom of darkness. Uh, end quote. And so the reality is if you're here today and you're thinking, like, why a marriage feast and worship while the world is falling? Again, ask the question, is there a part of the great prostitute of what Babylon has to offer that I've called my own security? And maybe that's why this, this rubs me the wrong way. I want to read a quote, and you can guess who says it here. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I don't need to argue about that. I'm right, and I'll be proved right. We are more popular, popular now than Jesus. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. Does anyone know who said that? Yeah, that's right, John Lennon. And I would like to present that, like, I mean, this is exactly the intoxicating effect of Babylon's wine at work that we're seeing here in this, in this quote. Removing all desire to acknowledge the destructive influence of Babylon, becoming blind to the insecurity found in Babylon, becoming blind to God as the, the sole source of true security, and numb against the fear of any coming judgment. And so in his quote, one of the things I think that gives a lot of credibility to what he's saying is that he says, Jesus was all right, uh, but it's his disciples that twist it. Um, in Revelation 3.16, Jesus was speaking to the church of Laodicea, and he, he warned them, saying, uh, Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, in those days, water would like flow in these open aqueducts, and if it was lukewarm, it means that it had been sitting. It was stagnant. And stagnant water gets bacteria, and bacteria is, having lukewarm water is as if you're saying, you're drinking poisonous water. Uh, cold water means the water is flowing fast. Uh, it's always fresh. Hot water means it's boiled. So both of those cases, no bacteria, no dying. But Jesus is saying that if you're lukewarm, you're poison. And I would say that this, this is a call to us again today uh, to consider, are you lukewarm in the sense that you're drinking a bit of Babylon's wine, drinking a little bit of the wine of Jesus, and you're like the person that I hope has never existed at the Red Frogs event who's on the bar dancing and like, I'm here to serve you. Let's party. You know, that's the call right now. Don't twist Christianity. We are supposed to look different than the world we're living in. And that difference happens through allowing Jesus to change you, allowing Jesus to become everything to you, allowing Jesus to tear down this idolatry in your lives. And so I want to remind you, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sin. Don't be a poison to this city. Don't leave here today and go poison people in terms of them receiving what the Bible has to say. 
Like, you say you're Christian, and you live, like, the same life as me. So I guess I can just live my life, and I don't need Christianity. We're supposed to look different. And if you need to repent today, I call you to repent in a way that Jesus is saying, come out of her lest you take part in her sins. And the hope is that we answer that call, and we, we leave here today to serve our city, to bring peace to our city, to bring Jesus out of these doors into our city. So I just want to conclude with this final question. Where is your security? Sure to fail, sure to fall. Are you going to leave here today and mourn when worldly security, when Babylonic structures fail? Or do you have sure security? A couple more questions on that. What will you do when, I should say, this has already happened like twice in my lifetime, what will you do when your savings just disappear? Like you haven't invested in something and it just zeroes out, you know? What are you going to do when your savings disappear? This literally happened this week. In Silicon Valley, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank just closed. It's gone. There's no more money. It's, it's just gone. All the money is gone. It's supposed to be um, assured uh, by the government. They're like, okay, the government's going to pay out that money. But it's so much money. There's going to be, a, if it ever gets paid out, people are going to be living months without, those, without access to those resources. What are you going to do when your money disappears? What are you going to do when you get a diagnosis that your body is failing you? What are you going to do when your friends disconnect? What are you going to do when you lose your reputation in your job? What do you do when you get laid off and you have no job? With, this is like a slogan, Babylon, guaranteed security. You will always have things fail you. <laughs> you know, it's like, if Babylon is your security, these things are sure to happen. You are sure to mourn and continue to worship. How did this happen? How did these things fail me? And Jesus wants to wake you up. He wants to invite you out of this drunk, falling state into his eternal security. And so I want to invite you, do not mourn the loss of Babylon because it's just going to keep failing. It's just going to keep falling again and again and again and again. Wake up and take this eternal security that Jesus is offering you today. Uh, just as we're concluding, I just want to present one last reflection. Babylon presents this tangible security. You're like, I can see it. I can see the numbers in my bank. I can touch my friend. You know, they're really there. But the reality is it's entirely empty and fake. There's nothing under it. Uh, like a puppet, okay? Who remembers when you realized that puppets were not real living creatures? Does anyone remember the moment? Nobody's saying yes, and I, I've thought about that, and I have an answer as to why. The reason you don't remember when you found out puppets were fake is because you've suppressed it. Because your brain, your three-year-old brain, saw like the innards being ripped out of this beautiful living teddy bear and said, okay, let's protect, protect uh, this. We don't want to crash into like some sort of state of depression. Protect. You just never saw any of that, you know? But that is what Babylon is. It's this empty, fake thing has no life in it, has no reality to it, empty and fake, but it looks real, it's tangible. And in contrast, what God offers is 
sure and secure. Even though it's intangible, you might not be able to see it. You might not be like, Jesus, he lived 2,000 years ago. How am I supposed to know he really came alive from the dead? The Bible says that God's word is truth. So if God says this, this is one of those circular arguments. You're going to have to wrestle with it. If God says it's true, his word presents it as true, then it is true. It is secure. You might not like that. And the only way to reconcile that is just to read God's word. And in reading God's word, he's going to show you it's true by his Holy Spirit who's going to come and make it alive. That's one of those guarantees I can almost give to you uh, that that comes with this, the, the sureness. It's the intangible truth, the reality. And so in closing, when the object of your worship is God, when your life is built with God at the center, the outcome is that you live through anything knowing that you are sure and secure. You will celebrate no matter what happens. When your savings might disappear, when you might get that diagnosis, when your friends might disconnect, when you lose your reputation, when you uh, might get laid off, you're like, okay, I have a much more secure reality that I've built my life on. And you know what I want to do? I want to celebrate. I want to worship. And that's what we see in Revelation, 6, uh, Revelation 19, 6 through 8. And I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would redirect our worship and that all of our security would be found in the work of Jesus and that we would glorify your name no matter what the circumstances. God, I pray that we can leave here today and pursue the peace of our city because we know that we have such a sure security to offer in Jesus. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.